Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes and soothing decibels. This is episode 37, 37. And I'm looking down at my attire right now, and I'm noticing that my pajama kind of get up has evolved over the past 15 years. Has anyone else got that going on? When I was 18, it was just boxers, you know, whatever, just pass out anywhere. Went through a weird naked phase when I was 20, 21. And that was freeing, but, you know, I like having stuff. I like having my boys in place. You know what I mean? There's got to be something there. And then I went through like a five-year t-shirt compression short phase. That was nice. Then I had a weird bathrobe phase for about a year where I just wear a bathrobe all the time. And I don't know, it made me feel like a big shot. Like I was a Scarface kind of character. I don't know. Just made me, made me feel, maybe Hugh Hefnery kind of. That was that kind of vibe. And now I'm in this weird, I wear like an Under Armour waffle shirt. I have like 10 colors of it. I have these Lululemon sweatpants and I wear these nice dress socks and it's it's kind of like I'm fully clothed. It's kind of like I'm an old man going to bed. I mean, what's next? Am I going to have like silk pajamas with one of those weird uh, Ebenezer Scrooge hats? I mean, I hope not, but I can't help. I can't help it. It's just, it's endlessly comfortable and enjoyable to wear this stuff to bed. It's like, it's like some cloth monster is hugging me slowly. I don't know. There's something about it. And much like that, I can't explain why, but I like doing these podcasts. I, if I could just rant about movies, TV, and pop culture for a living while interacting with about three to seven people per year for the in real life for like the next 65 years, I would sign up today. That sounds like a good life to me. Because I think I want to take this path as, long, as far as it goes. I, never really, I haven't said that out loud yet. It's kind of like that weird self-help book, The Secret, where you make like a dream board or you put your... You put your dream out into the open. So I'm putting it out there. I want to be a professional podcaster who barely interacts with the outside world. Maybe I visit my parents a couple of times a year, see my nephew, Jake, and my sister, and go on like one extravagant trip for four or five days. But it's one of those trips where like you pay for seclusion, like you don't interact with many people. But uh, I'll probably end up going back, working to the bar and dealing with thousand people a day so who knows what the future is going to bring but i just wanted to put it out in the ether so you know if one day i become famous i can look back and it like that's that's the exact moment at 11 35 p.m on july 8th in his bedroom on a side table with a very uncomfortable chair and a plug-in microphone on his macbook pro he he declared what his life would be, and he he called the shot. He Babe Ruthed it. So mark it down, I guess. I don't know. I mean, who, I don't know if you're that <laughs> you're that dedicated to this. Man, today I'm just dragging. I, I had a feeling this was going to be a hard one. I don't know why, but I'm not used to doing it late at night. Today kind of just got away from me a little bit. I had just random things to do throughout the day. And this is like pod number eight or nine try. So if you hear me like sigh and pause for a second that's usually when i stop and redo again but this time i just gotta fight through i just gotta keep going because you don't get better with uh with stopping all the time and someday i'm gonna be live on air or something hopefully that'd be cool to be live on air or i mean i guess most podcasters edit all their stuff but i think it'd be fun to be live but anyways i just gotta learn to kind of trudge through it and get through the grime and actually this is actually a topic i said actually twice really quickly in a row right there that's weird but uh, today's topic is one I'm pretty personally attached to, and it's just normally I pick great movies that are universally loved and do well in the box office because it's fun to talk about greatness because, you know, it's like I said, that Chris Farley SNL uh, skit where he just interviews 
celebrities. He's like, remember when you were in the Matrix? That was cool. Like, that's like what I, that's what I enjoy doing. But this movie is a dumpster fire. And like I said, I usually pick Sterling films, but today I wanted to splash around in a hog infested mud pit. And fun fact though, I think this is true that pigs are actually really clean animals. And the only reason they get dirty is because they know they'd be cleaned off by their human owners. That's, I know that sounds crazy. That sounds like an old wives tale or something half-ass internet researched. So I'll have to look that up. But every time I say I have to look that up, I say it a lot. I never look it up afterwards. So I'm going to stop saying that. Just knock it off. So pigs, I'm believing pigs are actually clean. But anyways, the mud pit that I picked was this terrible movie, 1995's Batman Forever. I know, gross. This is like, this is a forgotten Batman movie. This was Joel Schumacher. This was uh, plastic rubber nipples on Batman. This was close-up shots of Batman's butt. Uh, This was Val Kilmer's one-and-done Batman role where he's kind of catatonic throughout. I don't care. I enjoyed this. I really, really like this movie. And so did the world, I guess, because, I mean, this movie was the second most profitable movie of 1995. Does anyone know what the first one was? I'll give you a second. I'll give you five, four, three. I can't wait. It's a Toy Story. Toys, I mean, Toy Story ruled. That like blew my mind back then. Anyone else saw, see that and like, this is the future. But apparently only Pixar can do good ones. So I guess it's not the future. It's just Pixar just being better than everyone else. But this movie made uh, 336 million smackers. So, I mean, it begs the question, will Batman ever not make money? Because the Tim Burton ones all made $100 million. Batman and Robin, the worst version of the Shoemaker one, uh, the next one, also made over $100 million. The Christopher Nolan ones made, like, billions. And I think even the Justice League, uh, Ben Affleck, the Batleck, or how do you say it? The Baffleck or Batman-lick? I don't know. (laughs) Batman-lick. It's just a movie about Batman licking stuff. (laughs) Uh, I'd pay money to see that. He's just licking crime bosses. And I'm like, "What what are you doing? knock it off this isn't this didn't do anything but (laughs) they all made money so that's the important that's the important thing and i try to think why batman is such a profitable superhero it kind of makes no sense if you compare him to all the other like superheroes because he's a recluse weirdo billionaire he's got no friends except an 80 year old manservant that he's got alfred shout out to alfred he's got no superpowers you know he's just got gadgets He's basically a 1940s private detective in a rubber suit, like I said, with gadgets and with uh, parent issues, you know, because his parents died when he was young. Spoiler. I mean, if you don't know Batman's parents died, I mean, does everyone, it's kind of funny. Uh, there's this stand-up comedy routine between these two guys, Middleditch and Swartz. And one of them just said, I was going down an alleyway. And the other one smiles real big, knowing that that's the Batman, uh, parents death scene like that's how iconic it is if you just say an alleyway you're like oh that's batman's parents death and pearls went everywhere yeah that's that's batman's i mean batman's batman's parents uh death definitely and i was trying to i was gonna try to be philosophical and analytical and i try to explain all of our love for batman in a very uh intelligent and appropriate way but i i can't figure out why we like batman so much like what's his appeal He's not that cool. He doesn't have cool lines or like good one-liners. He's overly noble to the point where, because he doesn't kill anybody or he tries not to kill anybody. And that ends up getting more people killed, you know, when he lets the Joker escape from Arkham again, you know, uh, he just leads to more and more deaths. 
but I dig them too. I mean, wears a black suit. Uh, billionaire is always cool. Uh, but I mean, the world loves them. I guess bats are cool. I've never seen a bat as a pet. I mean, are bats fun? I've seen like the cute pictures of them eating fruit upside down as babies. And that's always cute. But I don't know. I guess we dig bats. And it, we dig, we dig Batman in all forms. I mean, you look at Adam West, the original uh, campy jokes, you know, in that kind of blue and yellow spandex. Michael Keaton, kind of stoic with splashes of silly. The 90s cartoon, which rocks, uh, which is kind of the classic cartoon, uh, what's it called? Comic book Batman. Kilmer in this movie is catatonic and wooden. Catonic. God. What am, what am I doing today? <laughs> He's just catatonic and wooden. Uh, Clooney, who was terrible. It's just glossy, kind of celebrity, A-list, smarmy, one-liner machine. Bale, Christian Bale being the tortured soul. Ben Affleck being an annoying, annoying know-it-all with money and a scowl. Each movie made a ton of money, like I said, so it really shows that the property itself is the value, and the role isn't really that great. I mean, has there any been, are there any actors where we're like, wow, he killed it as Batman? Or like, do we kind of, it's kind of the stuff around Batman that we love. You know, you love the villains or you love Gotham or, you know, you root for Alfred. So it's kind of a thankless role. And he's kind of, like I said, overshadowed by the bad guys, the Jokers, the Riddlers, the uh, Penguin. And why not Clayface? I want a Clayface movie. I mean, Clayface is the coolest bad guy for, anyone who doesn't know who he is, he was a failed actor who got this weird electric, elective plastic surgery so he could change his face to like whatever like if he wanted to be Marilyn Monroe he'd go mm, mess with his face and bam he's Marilyn Monroe but obviously it went horribly wrong he ended up he ends up being this amorphous giant monster ball of clay that can kind of form into anything like knives or you know uh, he can form into a wall or he can change appearances completely for a little bit but then he kind of mutates back into this amorphous blob and just a fun character. I want to see that done. Someone do that. Christopher Nolan, come back and do Clayface. But anyways, this is Joel Schumacher's uh, installment. And Schumacher, I mean, he is a guy who likes visuals. He apparently started his career as a window dresser for a major department store. So, I mean, his movies you can watch on mute. They're just clean, fun to look at. And it's more about the visuals than it is about anything else. And that's how he rolls. And he did Lost Boys, he did St. Elmo's Fire, uh, Phone Booth, which is an awesome Colin Farrell movie where he spends the entire movie in a phone booth. It's only like 85 minutes. I think it took two days to shoot. Awesome movie. But this is his try at it. So here's the plot for this one, even though it's, it's not even important because, I mean, it's just watching Batman battle crazy villains in Gotham. That's it. Batman, Val, well, that was too loud. Sorry. Batman Val Kilmer faces off against two foes. The schizophrenic, horribly scarred, former district attorney, Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face, played by Tommy Lee Jones, and the Riddler, Jim Carrey, a disgruntled ex-Wayne Enterprises inventor seeking revenge against his former employees by unleashing his brain-sucking weapon, the box, on Gotham City's residents. As a Cape, as a Cape Crusader also deals with tortured memories of his parents' murder, he has a new romance with psychologist Chase Meridian. Sounds like a bank. <laughs> uh, it's Nicole Kidman. And also, you know, he adopts and partners up with Dick Grayson, who becomes his psychic Robin. And, you know, silly movie, but maybe because I was 10, this movie resonated more. This movie was after Tim Burton's kind of darker film noir version of Batman, which I guess people were tired of. I don't, I, I don't remember the feel at the time, but this movie kind of felt like Tim Burton took Prozac. It's just, it's still got some darkness to it. 
and they didn't they took out the film noir part but they still have these like grand buildings like there's i remember the giant building of atlas shrug that seems like 10 times bigger than the empire state building it's still the cd rainy big city vibes of gotham but like i said schumacher is all about clean fun visuals and i mean he has just a ton of neon in this movie it's like there's so much neon there's neon neon laced Tommy guns for the henchmen for uh, for Two Face, Edward Nigma, uh, the uh, the Riddler, his box, which is a like three D television uh, apparatus that if you put it on your head, it shows you like crazy three D images, but also sucks your brain power out, so he becomes smarter. Crazy plot, really fun. I like that idea. It's fun because it's kind of like TV sucks your brain out, and it kind of does. I mean, when I look at a TV. I can feel my mouth open and I can feel myself getting stupider, but I don't care because my eyes gloss over and someone's talking at me and I can watch action and I can watch drama and none of it happens to me. I don't have to deal with any of the consequences. So that's always nice. And I mean, like I said, with Schumacher, there's these close-ups on Batman's plastic butt. There's a crotch shot or two, which is just crazy. Uh, There's color-coordinated henchmen. Uh, Two Faces henchmen are wearing like these half purple, half black masks, which seem really cool. And they have these badass leather jackets that are kind of spiked and purple and black. Two Faces Lair looks like Home and Garden meets Guns and Ammo. It's just, you know, crazy. And actually, one of his henchwomen is Drew Barrymore, just acting angelic and stuff. So that was fun. There's tons of primary color splashes. The movie just looks like it's, I mean, it looks like a painting. It's fantastic. You could watch it on mute, like I said. And also, I, even though Kilmer was kind of the stoic wooden Bruce Wayne, I dug what he did. I don't know. The movie has these two crazy uh, villains, Two-Face and Riddler. Usually you don't have two villains who are like manically laughing with each other. You kind of have one straight man and one insano. But uh, this one, they're just ripping off each other. And uh, I just needed a grounding force. And maybe I'm just a sucker for uh, Val Kilmer. I mean, I love Val Kilmer. And if you don't, I mean, watch... Real, real genius. Him as uh, Chris Knight in high school, just the smart Alec, uh, smartest guy in the room, 17-year-old genius who's building lasers while wearing fuzzy slippers. It's just so much fun. Top Gun, he's, I mean, as Iceman, him and uh, Tom Cruise are toe-to-toe. He's basically like a taller, bleach blonde, stretched out uh, Tom Cruise. Like, when you see that movie, you think they're both going to be the biggest stars in the world. There's no difference. When they do the little bite, you know, the teeth thing, that in front of each other. I mean, you're just like, these two are stars. And maybe they're secretly dating because there's some chemistry there. But uh, both have great teeth too. I think they probably dated. I could say I could see them dating. Uh, who would be the big spoon? I feel like Cruz is an alpha though. I think he would try to be the big spoon, even though he's like five foot three. Has that ever happened to anybody? Does anyone smaller ever be the big spoon? I mean, it hasn't happened to me in my experience because, you know, I'm six five. But I'm curious, is there any like five foot three guys who are like, I want to be the big spoon, even though they're dating someone who's six feet tall? Well, I've never met that couple before. I mean, I don't think six foot tall women generally get with five foot three guys, but if they do, I want to hear about it. Send me a picture. Send me a picture of you two spooning. I want to see that. But anyways, Val Kilmer, awesome. I just love him. Uh, the Doors, I mean, he was Jim Morrison. Maybe, I mean, maybe he was taking so many drugs during that movie. You know I mean? Like it's just one long peyote trip. Maybe he just never snapped out of it. That's kind of why he's been difficult to work with. I hear he yells at directors. He storms off set, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, in heat, he's fantastic. Long ponytail, uh, you know, kind of badass criminal. 
And I love he did the Saint after this. I love the Saint. The Saint was like Mission Impossible before Mission Impossible. And for some reason it bombed. And I don't know why. Because Elizabeth Shue was in it too, and she was great and weird and cute. I don't know, Val Kilmer. I feel like he didn't get a fair shake after. I mean, I, I know I get it that he's difficult and probably had personal problems, but I don't know. He was an A-list star to me, and he had it all. He was funny, charming, incredibly handsome, tall, debonair. But just for some reason, he fell out of favor. So what are you going to do? R.I.P. Val Kilmer. I mean, he's in movies like MacGruber as a bad guy. <laughs> and he's pretty funny in that. And if you want to see a good, like, 1940s film noir uh, cop story, but in modern times, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I think that's one year before Iron Man, so that's 2007. And that's actually the movie that sparked Downey Jr.'s recovery so that he could get Iron Man. So him and watching him and Kilmer go toe-to-toe, Kilmer plays this uh, private investigator who's gay, who's also just really funny and kind of to the point. So really enjoyed that, really enjoyed Kilmer. And I enjoy uh, Nicole Kidman, too. And in this one, I think she's the sexiest she's ever going to be in a uh, film. I mean, she's just a 1950s pinup. You know what I mean? She's got this really intense blonde hair. She's wearing this, like, bright red lipstick. She's wearing these very ornate 50s-style cocktails dresses, always black, usually. She's uh, kickboxing, and she's a criminal psychologist. And she's in love with Batman, but is ignoring the courting of Bruce Wayne himself. So it's always fun when there's a love triangle between two people, when like she likes one version of the guy and doesn't realize she's, he's the other one. I always find that amusing. It's always a nice, comforting kind of trope for uh, movies. It's like in a TV when someone has to go to two proms at the same time, and how are they going to do it? Like two places at once. Oh, boy. You know, I mean, some things are just comfort food, and that's that's what this is. And... You got Tommy Lee Jones kind of just going for it as uh, Two-Face. Two-Face is a, uh, he's a former district attorney who gets acid spilled on his face uh, in a courtroom by a mobster. And kind of crazy, he puts up in the movie, he puts up a piece of paper and that blocks half of his face from getting the acid on it. It's like, well, how does paper stop acid? That seems ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's going to rip your face apart. It's going to rip some paper apart. But he ends up just being purple pink scarred and it like messes with his brain he goes insane and he's talking to himself constantly it's goofy manic laughter and he's coin obsessed he can't make a decision without flipping a coin so that's like kind of his bit and i don't know tommy lee jones i'm not used to him being the funny crazy guy usually he's the straight man you know no country for old man uh, men in black uh backdraft those kind of movies he's kind of you know a serious the fugitive he's a serious guy i mean that face is just stoic and serious to see him kind of just manically laughing and talking to himself i know it's kind of fun to see him try try on a different a different pair of pants that's just i just liked it and he's just like this 1920s zoot suit kind of wearing bank robin villain i'm like all right that's cool that fits with batman and this fits with schumacher's kind of weird world and I, some people said it was really campy, and yeah, it was. But, uh, you know, you just because you can make fun of something doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. So props to Tommy Lee Jones. Apparently, this role should have been Billy D. Williams, you know, who was Lando Calrissian. And I guess Schumacher just really wanted Tommy Lee Jones. I don't know. I think seeing Billy D. Manic might be fun. and Or maybe he'd just be the cool Two-Face. He'd be like, chill out, other side. It's like, have a Colt 45. Relax. I don't know. I mean, it could have worked, but we'll never know. 
But, uh, I mean, Aaron Eckhart definitely did a better Two-Face in uh, The Dark Knight, but it was an insanely different movie. And I think Eckhart's Two-Face is really good because in that movie, Harvey Dent is a self-important kind of guy who thinks he's bigger than he is. And that's kind of how Aaron Eckhart is as an actor. Like, he doesn't realize he's not the lead. So I think it's kind of his hammy acting that makes Harvey resonate better. So I think that might be a happy accident. So I don't know. So maybe Tommy Lee did a better job. And maybe this movie just in my mind is just, I mean, when you're 10 years old, everything's so much more important and cooler. And, you know, I had all the uh, toys and McDonald's toys and I, you know, wanted the Batmobile. I don't know. Things when you're 10 to 13 are more important than any other time in your life. So maybe, Maybe I have some residual uh, nostalgia feelings for this. But I don't care. It's there. It's in my brain. It's in my noodle. And this is how I feel. So screw you if you don't like this movie. Sorry. Actually, no, no, not screw you. Just, hmm. Am I angry at you for not liking this movie? Or am I angry at myself for liking this movie too much? I don't know. I'm kind of two-facing it right now. I'm having a discussion with myself. Because there's no one else here, right? No one. Nope. I don't hear another voice. Two-face? Harvey? Nope, 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 it's just me. <laughs> I should not do these late at night. It gets me all goofy. Speaking of goofy, uh, Jim Carrey plays the Riddler. And you got to give props because this is Carrey's only real attempt at like the blockbuster comedy movie genre. I mean, com- comedy, comic movie genre. So just enjoy it. He's basically just an evil version of his character in The Mask. He's got the same colors, you know, that bright green sparkles, kind of just spastic. And just... Just watch Jim Carrey flail around and jump and prance, and he's wearing like sparkling costumes. I mean, just enjoy Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey because I think people didn't realize at the time because this was during his glory run when he did Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, this, Ace Ventura 2, Liar Liar, that we were just going to get the next 30 years of silly, goofy comedy, uh, A-level Jim Carrey, and he kind of never went back to it. He kind of tried serious roles, and then he became a painter, and now he's self-important. I heard he just released a book that's kind of a an autobiography, but it's in a fictional world where everything's kind of slightly askew, so that sounds bananas. I guess when he did the role as Andy Kaufman on Man of the Moon, and he kind of did the method acting thing where he was Andy Kaufman, he never really came back. Can you imagine that? You try to do a role and you try to like be the person and you try to come back to yourself and you just can't see or realize yourself. That's crazy. That's such, that's such human 2000 uh, celebrity problems. I mean, my God, I mean, get over yourself, Jim, just flail around like this. Just have some orange hair, have a cane with a question mark on it and become a billionaire by selling 3d TVs. That's what I want from you. And this was what that movie gave to me. So like I said, the box is just a really fun concept. Like sucking info from people's heads as they watch 3D TV. I mean, there's some there's some allegory or some Twilight Zone or Black Mirror kind of vibe to that where it's like, this is what TV does to you. And, you know, secretly they're watching us and, you know, Big Brother and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I'm not smart enough or I don't want to pick up on stuff like that. I don't care if something's an allegory to uh, some deeper meaning. I just want to be entertained for two hours. I mean, I... I don't really want to think outside. I mean, I don't pick up on the kind of underlying meanings or the symbolism behind it. I just want to be entertained. If you can either visually, auditorily, or uh, I don't know, just stimulate me for two hours. That sounds kind of sexual. So no, no. I mean, just just entertain me. <laughs> Although I guess, I mean, some sexual movies, I mean, 
trying to think of sexual movies. Unfaithful, that's a great sexual movie. Basic Instinct, Bananas. What other ones? Showgirls was kind of fun, actually. Directed by Paul Verhoeven, too. So I guess well, Verhoeven does a lot of sexual, psycho sexual movies. So those are, why did I get into sexual movies from Batman Forever? Uh, and from Jim Carrey, God. Sometimes you just, re- oh, from The Box, there we go. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, The Box, like I said, uh, Seems like there could be in a whole movie. I think there was a movie with Cameron Diaz called The Box, where if you had to press a button, it would kill someone, but you get $5 million. And it's like aliens testing human life for morality. But that's that's neither here nor there. So Jim Carrey, fun. I mean, I don't care that it was a kind of a silly performance and that it, there's not a real character behind it. Who cares? It's just Jim Carrey being a Batman villain. And then you got Chris O'Donnell as uh, Robin. And for those of you who don't remember, Chris O'Donnell in the early 90s was kind of a big deal. Son of a woman, this, school ties, just, you know, like a teen heartthrob. Not the greatest actor. I think I'm, now he's doing CSI LA with LL Cool J, and that's kind of where he belongs in kind of the B-level uh, syndicated show on uh, cable television. That's where you belong, Chris O'Donnell. But in this movie, I mean, he was just so 90s. I loved it. He had the one hoop earring. And he had a shaved head with sideburns, which is just a weird look. I mean, I don't know why that was ever a thing. Loved motorcycles. He was a trained, not gymnast, he was a trained trapeze artist. Yeah, there we go. And he watched his family die when uh, Two-Face killed them, and then he wants revenge. That's how he kind of ends up becoming Robin. And he's kind of the, he's kind of the relief in this movie. He makes things fun. Like he's, when he finds out that uh, that Bruce Wayne is the... Batman he steals the Batmobile and he goes to pick up girls and start fights with neon black lit uh, uh, gangs in the middle of Gotham I mean who doesn't want to do that that's what you want to do if you're if you find the Batmobile you want to go out talk to some women and you want to start fights with some neon baddies in a in an alleyway and he also it gave him an excuse he drove the Batmobile straight up on a wall which is cool. I'm like, and it was completely unnecessary. They definitely wanted to do it because I think they had a toy at the time that could do this. And they're like, we can sell a lot of toys this way. And they did. I think I bought one of those toys. Love a good Batman toy. I should buy a, I should buy a Bane doll, a Funko Pop Bane. Cause that's, that, that's a toy I could hang out with or have fun with. But, uh, so yeah, he stole a Batmobile, had fun and Batmobile could fly up walls. And also a fun fact, Robin uh, was offered to Leonardo DiCaprio and Marky Mark and also uh, Marlon Wayans. I think Marlon Wayans would have been fun, you know, in this kind of silly role. Leo would probably be too heavy. Marky Mark might be okay. Or I should call him Mark Wahlberg at this point. He's a real actor. Just he's always Marky Mark to me. He's just a kid from Southie who was in underwear ads and was a white rapper in the late 80s, early 90s. I can't believe he's like a superstar. It's so weird to me. Although I do love I, the other guys, him and Will Ferrell. That's the one time I really like him, is him taking things too seriously while everyone else kind of joking around him. Although in Boogie Nights, he's actually really good, too. That movie's just, the movie's him. I mean, that, that's a great ensemble cast, and he really carries it as Dirk Dickler. So he has, he has his moments, but he also has a lot of bombs. But also shout out to Ted. Ted is a great movie. Him and a, him and a living teddy bear smoking weed on a couch, that's fun. And also, I mean, this movie had the biggest song of 1995. It was Kiss from a Rose by Seal. And if you don't know this song, go immediately and watch a music video. It's Kiss shirtless on top of a roof with a bat signal 
kind of uh, singing at the moon. And I think this song was like number one for, God, I mean, at least 30, 40 weeks or something like that. I'm not going to look it up, but I mean, it feels like it was forever. And it was just a, just a fun uh, side plot that like you could sing and know the music from this. So I just enjoyed Seal. Seal was, Seal was good stuff. I mean, if you didn't know him at the time, he was a big deal. And this was back when music videos really mattered. This was like, not, I don't think it was, was it TRL? No, it was pre-TRL. But you kind of watched MTV or VH1 hoping to see this video. Or this is how old I am on the radio. You'd wait for this song to be like, number one this week with Casey Kasem or something like that. But great song, a lot of fun. I listened to it all day today. But I mean, yeah, this movie is corny plot. And yeah, there's really stupid uh, fight scenes and kind of, like I said, corny victories against the bad guys. I think the way he defeats Two-Face is he throws a bunch of coins in the air and Two-Face falls to his death. And the box uh, with the Riddler, he, the Riddler gives him a riddle, obviously, and the answer's a bat. But rather than answer the riddle, he destroys the box and all the information goes into Jim Carrey's head and his head kind of gets warped and he has too much information. Like everyone's like fears and everyone's inane information. It's too much. And he ends up just being crazy. And well, that leads to him being in the uh, insane asylum in Arkham, which is always fun. But I mean, it doesn't matter. This was an entertaining schlock. And so is so are most superhero movies. So who cares? It was a loaded cast. It was fun to look at. Score was oddly well done and haunting. Uh, outside of the Kiss from a Rose stuff, they fired Danny Elfman, who did the original two Batmans. And in this one, I can't remember who did the score, but it was good. And, you know, it was a popcorn movie. I finished the popcorn five minutes into the movie because that's when you know it's good, when you're just shoveling popcorn until the top of your mouth hurts and then your lips are all kind of salty and dry. That's when you know you have a good movie, when you're just inserting popcorn in your mouth because you're so distracted. You eat like a whole medium or large by yourself. And that then you feel bad about yourself. You're like, oh no. And you eat the kernels too. I used to chew on the kernels and they used to get between my teeth and stay there for like four or five days. But I didn't know butter, so I felt better about myself. But I think they put butter in initially. I mean, you see the kernels and they're definitely yellow. So I think there's some butter to them. I mean, movie theaters, there's definitely like sugar and some terrible other stuff in there. Maybe there's some like cracks they're sprinkling in there. Just makes it the way it is. My mom actually would uh, go to movie theaters and just buy a popcorn once a week or so, just eat the popcorn. So, I mean, that was a power move, actually. That's a smart thing. If you're just craving movie theater popcorn, you don't need to see a movie. Just go grab some popcorn. But I always went to the movies. I always liked going to the movies. And this was a fun movie to go to. I think when I was 10, this was just a big deal. It's like, it was a little violent for my age. It was a little scary. It was a lot of car- uh, great actors that I knew. And it was Batman kicking butt in Gotham City. And they spent like $100 million on this movie. So that's why I'll never understand why people, if people don't like movies or if people aren't entertained by large budget blockbusters. It's like, bro, someone paid $150 million to get the best actors, to get special effects people, to get writers. I mean, the amount of effort that got put into this thing for you to just pay eight bucks and just sit there for two hours and forget your life. Like that's awesome. That's like the most entertaining thing you can do. So I don't know. I mean, why, why complain when that's there? I mean, I'll complain minorly about things, but if it's on a TV screen or if it's on a movie screen, I'm usually going to watch it and I'm usually going to nod my head and be entertained. Like I just started a community, the show on Netflix and I'm upset because it's 125 episodes at 20 minutes a pop. So I'm going to like waste the next 40 hours of my life. 
but it's just entertaining, schlocky, uh, kind of fish out of water, group dynamic, weird people at a community college just interacting with each other. And I just love it. And that's what most media is. It's just uh, just a break. It's just a reliever. And, you know, if you can see Batman with his perfect buns of steel battling a green guy telling you crossword puzzles and a half-scarred purple dude in a zoot suit flipping coins inside and he's going to kill you while a orphaned uh, trapeze artist seeks vengeance while riding motorcycles and there's an 80-year-old manservant giving uh, advice the whole time. I mean, that's something I want to see. That sounds crazy. I think the crazier the idea, the more it works. I think, you know, I think I keep pushing things. And this movie definitely pushed things. It was definitely a wild ride. And I was happy to see it. And you should have been happy to enjoy it. And that's all I got to say. This one felt weird. I don't know. Is it better than I'm ranty and kind of half delirious? (laughs) I can't tell. Like, I feel like it's funnier at some points because I'm just, it's funny, like, laugh at me, not laugh with me. (laughs) Like, I should have ended this 10 minutes ago, but I'm trying to just still ranting and raving a little bit. And I don't know, maybe I like the sound of my own voice. I think I have a good radio voice. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's deep, but I thought it would be deeper when I first heard it. I'm like, oh, I sound kind of nasally, actually. When I get inquisitive, it goes like through my nostrils kind of up. And I sound Urkel-ish a little bit, Steve Urkel. So got to work on that. Got to deal with my radio voice. Yeah. How's that? Is that better? Is that, is that too sexual? No, that sounds like, sounds a little creepy. I think I need, I need, it needs to be light and, and kind of pitter-pattery because I kind of, it's kind of like I'm having a conversation with myself. It's kind of like I bang something against the, I'm playing suicide. You know, it's a, the tennis game where you bang it against the wall for yourself, but you're pretending you're with an opponent. That's what I'm doing. It's kind of like there's an invisible uh, max on the other side that I'm playing tennis with back and forth. And I think for now, I'm going to wrap it up for Invisible Max. I think he's had enough time outside the box. I'm going to put him back in and try to have a reasonable, rational night where he doesn't get out. Bye, everyone.